Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. If you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, um, who is local here in Minnesota, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For anyone that's new, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. Our goal is to have real conversations with voices big and small all around the world. We think everyone's voice needs to be heard in order to make sustainable change. So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Like I said, everyone is welcome from those diagnosed to those doing research and everything in between. I also want to give a shout out to Dementia Map. If you haven't checked that out, I'm so excited about this. Uh, this has been a goal of mine for over for about 40 years. I wanted a place that where people could go to get information on a global level, again, from big to small companies to individuals who don't even think that they're a knowledge base. A lot of times people living with dementia or care partners have great resources that they've put together in video format or in a blog or they've got maybe a, an Instagram account. Um, we want all of those types of things in here as well as the professionals because they're all so helpful. So check out the map. Um, get on Dementia Map. It's uh, just DementiaMap.com. It's very easy to access. There's no fee. If you have a resource product or tool, we also have a free listing as well as enhanced listings. We're not going to collect any of your um, information, so you don't have to have a membership. And so it's just super, super easy. And I'm even willing to give you a tour of that if you'd like. Uh, just, again, reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I also do a couple of um, uh, community support groups. One is sponsored by Arthur's Senior Care, and we meet the second and fourth Wednesday of each month virtually. So anybody anywhere is welcome to come. That's at 2 o'clock uh, Eastern, 1 Central, noon Mountain Time, and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. And then um, Brookdale North Oaks and the Shoreview Parks and Rec sponsor a Caregiver Connect where we meet in person. We're finally meeting back in person this month. We meet the last Wednesday of each month at 10 a.m. Central Time at the Shoreview Community Center. And there is also support for people living with dementia. So there's a little respite care. On May 25th, I will be down at Friendship Village in Friendship Hall down in Bloomington. 
and I'll be doing a program called As the Cookie Crumbles that will be uh, an educational presentation primarily for professionals from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. And let's see, the Memory Camp in Wisconsin is going to be open again August 15th to the 18th. This is um, a, a summer camp where family uh, can participate with their loved ones who have um, mild to moderate uh, dementias. And you can reach out to them to register <clears throat> at 715-479-8255. Um, have just a couple more announcements here. Uh, Mods Ventures is still open. You can get seed money. Um, they have three different um, challenges that they have out there, but you can win seed money of fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. So go to modsventures.org. And next we are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. They're going to talk a little bit about the foot bar walker. And I'll be back and introduce our guests because we're going to be talking about common myths and, and beliefs and stigmas and, and ways we can dance around those and live a little better alongside dementia. I love the foot bar walker. And let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the footbar walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. I just love both of those companies. They're doing amazing work. Well, let's go ahead and get on with our conversation today. Um, our guest is Donna Marente, and she is a dementia care educator and the owner of New Dawn Dementia Understanding. Donna is an accomplished nurse who has dedicated her nursing career to geriatric nursing and memory care, and she has a real passion for raising awareness increasing understanding and accelerating research for all forms of dementia. So welcome, Donna. I'm thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you, Lori. It's very nice to be with you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I, I don't think we can talk enough about myths and, and how we care and how those stigmas can sometimes cripple us in our thoughts and our abilities to truly care for somebody. But before we get into that conversation, I would just first like to um, ask you, and I ask this to all my guests, if you have been personally touched in your own family, excuse me, <clears throat> my spring frog has returned here. 
<laughs> you oh. have personally been touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? Well, it's going back um, over 35, 40 years now. But um, back in the 70s, actually, my mom's sister, what I now know was Alzheimer's disease. Um, you know, we had a family where culturally uh, we didn't talk about those things and people were in denial about it. Um, and, you know, we didn't know then what we know now. Um, but, you know, the the heart of the matter with that, looking back on it, Lori, was, you know, we just kind of looked at it like, well, okay, she's, she's a little to the left or right of center these days. And see her as anything different than our aunt, um, you know, mom's sister. Um, I guess we didn't know what the stigmas were supposed to be back then, so we just accepted these changes in the person. Um, eventually, she did need, um, you know, a more structured care situation, but um, there are quite, quite a lot of changes in our understanding um, from just 30, 40 years ago to now. You know, we've we've done some some great things. We've built some great programs, but, um, you know, we can always shore up the foundation a little bit. Oh, I agree. You know, my mom started having um, symptoms. Well, she's been gone since 2014 and, um, and lived with it for 30 years, almost 40 years ago for her. So she was in the 80s. But, you know, back then, no one really even talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't even hear the word dementia. Um, my mom spoke of Alzheimer's. No one else really did, and, and even her doctor didn't. And so that was it, everything was kind of blamed on hormones, anyways, for her back in, back in the day. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was very it was very different. But I remember my great aunt was in the nursing home, and she had memory issues. I'll never forget the day she forgot my name. And I remember just being told by my mom, that's just what happens when people get older, Lori. That's just what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it isn't anything personal. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not anything personal? I was crushed, you know, um, to be that person that she she forgot. Um, so, yeah, times have changed. We're out of the closet um, to some extent, but still have a long ways to go in terms of education and and acceptance. Let's talk about some of the myths and beliefs that are that we struggle with in our world today. Do you want to highlight some of those for us? Well, how much time do we have here, Lori? Because <laughs> there are there are quite a few. Um, you know, and and I'm not putting these in any specific order, but you know, a few that come to mind. Um, one of them is that they don't know any better. They don't know what's going on. Um, you know, I've seen people sometimes comment on a post on, on social media. They're not intending it in a cruel way, but they'll use terms like, oh, they're a shell of the person they were, and, um, you know, it's it's the long goodbye, and, and dementia has taken my my loved one. They're still there. Okay, um, you know, one of the, the other myths is, well, you know, uh, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Uh-huh. The, they're home. They're waiting for somebody to knock on the door and say, may I come in? May I join you where you are? 
you know, and and you form your relationship with that person. It's we're kind of trying to hold on to something like cupping water in your hands, and and it's not not going to stay. Um, so we need to find another way, you know, to relate. And when you do that, um, that person is still very much with us. Um, you know, and another one, I'm sure a lot of a lot of people are really taking up the cause on this um, to dispel this myth is that, oh, they're just like children. You know, they are not children. They are absolutely adults. They have lived a full, full life. And they are quite aware that they are adults. And I think, you know, just to kind of maybe shed some light on where that misconception maybe comes from is you know, we're born with a brain, one organ, but it is a rather subdivided corporation up there. And when we're born, we have a functioning area of the brain, our primal brain, that is responsible for keeping us alive, keeping us out of danger, making sure that those, you know, those most basic needs are filled. Um, it's responsible for fright, flight, or fight, things like that. The executive part of the brain, the reasoning ability, the social filters, the forward planning, um, decision-making process, those things come online as we develop them. Kind of like, you know, the old computers came with just enough hardware to boot it up and get you started, but back in the day, you used to have to download the software to make it do fancy stuff. So it's kind of a little analogy there. You know, the, the primal brain is, is, if you think of it in terms of the hardware and the executive brain being, you know, the, the fancy stuff that we add to it. So you have a child. You have a young child and their primal brain is, you know, crying out when they're hungry and thirsty. You know the drill. But as they're growing, those other exec functions, the thought process, the social control, knowing when to stop, when to, you know, do this and not do that, all of those things are developing until adulthood and then they're fully developed. Now, with some dementias, and and one size does not fit all, some of those executive functions are being affected by the underlying disease process. And so some of those functions might be going offline, presents challenges, presents, you know, workarounds, and so forth. So I think where that stigma, that myth comes from of, oh, he acts just like a two-year-old, is if you look at a two-year-old and you were going to plot their development on a piece of graph paper, they're going up, up, up. And if you look at a person who is challenged by certain, you know, things with dementia, some of their functions might be weakening. They might be coming offline. And if you plot what's going on with their executive functioning brain, you're going on a little bit of a downward slope. At some point, if, if you were going to put the toddler 
and the adult on the same piece of graph paper, it's possible mathematically some of those dots might overlay. But it's not because of retrogenesis that, you know, oh, they're, they're going back to their childhood. It's just that those functions that we've come to rely on in our executive brain are being challenged. They're going offline. And so, you know, people tend to look at it as, well, their behavior is like a two-year-old, so, you know, talk to them like a two-year-old, treat them like a two-year-old. And that is so disrespectful. Um, You know, again, they know that they're adults. The lights are on and they are home. They're in there and it's it's our responsibility to find a way to them, to join them where they are in their process. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it, Lori. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because all of the phrases that you use, you know, they don't know any better, they're a shell of a body, the long goodbye, dementia's taken them from us, um, the lights are on but nobody's home. I mean, all of those things, things that we have heard. And one of the things I can honestly say that, that frustrates me is some of our larger organizations still use, and, and I'll use the example of a long goodbye um, mm-hmm. And and even when I'm asked to speak um, on the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year, which everybody has tied into this long goodbye, say I, you know, try the long hello, you know, try anything but the long goodbye. There's a lot of life to be lived there, and Absolutely. and I just and I get really frustrated when we use fear to raise money. Um, and mm-hmm. to get people's attention, I think we really need to give hope. Um, when you say, you know, they're just like a child and, and you're saying, no, they're not. They've lived a whole life. But I, I do have to say for my um, my own mother that she she be, she um, progressed into a childlike state of mind, um, which was really actually quite beautiful because it was very innocent. And her ego had left the building as things progressed for a while. She was kind of in that paranoid state. But it was the safest, most comfortable, fun place to be. Because all she wanted to do was, like a child, connect. She wanted to be part of. She didn't care what you look like, how you dressed, how you talked. Um, None of that mattered. It was all about the connection. And so, to me, there's a there's a plus when we lose some of those things that we've learned as an adult um, to be paranoid and to be judgmental. And the other thing that clicked with me is when you said, you know, they've lived a long, full life. And one of the things that people learn in this long, full life is how to read nonverbals. And so many people, I think, believe that a person with dementia um, isn't seeing any of that. So if we put on a superficial smile and say everything's fine, we we really think that's true. That's all they're going to see. But they're reading all the angst within us and our twitches and our, our little things that our bodies do, and they know something's off. And um, it can be really, I think, uncomfortable for them. And then they mirror it back, and then we get mad at them because they're edgy when actually it was us that brought it into the room in the first place. So I think there's so many 
levels to all all of what we're talking about here. And um, and part of it is <clears throat> learning to look for the beauty within um, within this process. And granted, there's a lot. There can be a lot of sadness, and if that's what you want to focus on, you'll find it. But mm-hmm. um, and again, I'll go back to the example of my mom. I remember her. Um, coloring with my my daughter who was I don't know three five years old or something and coming back and they both held up their pictures you couldn't tell who was happier or who who was had more pride in terms of showing their artwork and it was this simplicity in this beauty and this pride of being connected and being joyful and I'm thinking I never would have seen that without dementia in my mother and that, yeah, I mean, you that, know, and that was a huge gift. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, we, with dementia, we do not lose our ability to feel emotions. That, mm-hmm. you know, the emotional memories and the emotional connections, those are part of our limbic memory. They're more, you know, um, amygdala. And dementia doesn't touch that. And so many times, you know, people, and understandably so, again, this is certainly not, you know, hard-hearted or, you know, critical, but so many people give up because you'll hear them say, well, I can't have a conversation with my husband anymore, or, you know, um, I can't even talk to my my parent or my sister, Uh, and they give up at that point. But, you know, my, my thing is, you know, never in your 60 years of marriage did you ever just sit in companionable silence and hold hands or, you know, maybe you had a friend that was going through a tragedy in their life and, and words would have been an insult to the gravity of the situation. So you went, you gave the person a hug, you sat with them. There are so many ways to connect and communicate with a person. Uh, you know, the sense of smell was dad's hobby, woodworking. Um, you know, wrap that blanket or that pillow up in, in some, some cedar chips, you know, and and let it unlock those wonderful emotional memories. Um, you know, it, it's they're there. That That's the point. They are absolutely there. Um, you know, the thing with the long goodbye, that it it kind of feeds on itself, Lori, I think, because, well, number one, life itself is a long goodbye. If you think mm-hmm. about it, we all know where we're going, but we live life to the fullest anyway. Part of that misconception, that stigma of the long goodbye is because when people receive that initial diagnosis of Alzheimer's or, you know, another uh, dementia-producing disease process, Lewy body or or whatever, it's either the person, the very well-meaning caregiver, care partner, decides the ax has to fall right now, take away the car keys, no, you can't cook dinner, you might burn yourself. And, you know, it's kind of we rush in, we mean well, but we rush in for a, a siege rather than set up a little perimeter, be vigilant, you know, just keep aware of any changes. But the point is that the changes that come about with dementia, with any kind of dementia, 
come about slowly. If something was acute and overnight, then that's more probably a treatable delirium than a dementia. Mm -hmm. Changes with dementia come on slowly. And so the changes that a person makes in their life should equal that pace. You know, we've, we've got a lot of the frustration comes in with people can still do this. You know, okay, I've been diagnosed with dementia. This morning, maybe I was out chopping wood on the back 40 like I've done every October for the last 50 years and went to the doctor because I was noticing some memory loss and got that <clears throat> initial diagnosis. And the next thing you know, you know, the wife is on the phone to, to the neighbor from the doctor's parking lot. Hurry up, hide the axe. He's got dementia. And mm-hmm. we put these changes in place way ahead of when we need to do that. And this is where, you know, yes, we're not going to we'd be, you know, kind of pie in the sky to say that dementia does does not cause some form of functional disabilities as it progresses. But I think that a lot of times, Lori, we create more functional disability than the disease process itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I mean, monitor the person and not monitor them like we need to be helicopter caregivers, but just be aware. Be aware of the changes that you see coming on and slowly, you know, introduce some changes that are not going to decimate their life as they know it, there's your long goodbye right there. We, you know, we create that functional disability long before it has to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that is so true. And again, it all, it all starts a lot of times just at the doctor's office in what we're mm-hmm. told or not told, you know, we're told, get your affairs in order, you know, and I mean, you, you think they're going to be gone shortly. I mean, my mom lived for 30 years. Many people are living a lot longer now because they're getting diagnosed earlier. We should expect yeah. that. And um, like you said, not not everything progresses fast. In fact, most of them don't, you know, with that. And so it really is about getting a proper assessment, understanding that just because this happened to your friend doesn't mean it's going to happen to your loved one. You know, or that you read um, you read something in a book. You know, the the old saying. You know, when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. Everyone is different, and every every person and every family's values are different in terms of what's important to them. What do they like to do? You know, how do you keep them engaged? Um, all of those things matter when it comes to making those decisions, and and I think. You know, we really need to have conversations about what is important to all of us um, if we would lose, you know, our our normal capacities that we're used to. And yet society is so frightened to have those conversations. And and yet sooner or later we're all going to exit, you know. Go ahead. Well, that's, that's, you know, the thing is, if you're in your 70s or 60s or 70s, you should probably have your paperwork ready anyhow. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's something we all, as you say, we all need to think about that. But I think 
you know, a lot of it too, Lori, is um, we need to educate not just caregivers, not just nursing home administrators. We're at a point now where society, our society in general, needs to have a better understanding of dementia and how we can make changes to make our society more dementia inclusive. You know, if you look at dementia in terms of it produces challenges sometimes, again, I agree, you've met one, you've met one, but, you know, speaking in in acceptably general terms here, um, let's let's say dementia is going to present challenges, and those challenges may lead to certain disabilities. Mm-hmm. If you look at what we have rightfully, God blessedly so done, to promote um, inclusion for other disabilities in our society, and then look at what we have not done to make our society dementia inclusive, we've mm-hmm. probably violated just about every code of the Americans for Disabilities Act. Um, you know, it, and, and it, it all gets down to, I think, that general lack of understanding. And as you say, you know, because it happened to your neighbor's mother's uncle's cat's father does not mean your loved one is going to experience the same thing. And this is one of the things that I caution with support groups, and obviously support groups are very important and we need them, but one of the things that I always caution is, you know, sometimes the Internet is not your friend and Mm -hmm. people mean well and they say, oh, yeah, my brother had that, and oh, wait six months, wait till you see what happens now. Has he has he started doing this yet or that yet? You know, it's it's fear factor extraordinary, mm-hmm. and doesn't have to be like that. It truly doesn't. Yep, I I so agree. Now, Donna, some of the audience might not know that you are certified as a dementia practitioner, an Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer, and also a certified Montessori dementia care professional. So let's talk about behaviors. We hear so much about, oh, this person has this behavior and that behavior, um, which I I personally, I hate that term, and I am trying to Mm -hmm. get people to change that. But why don't you talk about your thoughts about behavior um, and what causes them and how do we, how do we deal with them? And are there other words you think we should use um, instead of, instead of the word behavior, I'd be interested in knowing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity um, to talk about that. You know, the word behavior um, in any other context, just, tends to indicate, you know, what a person is doing. I have a behavior. I get up, make coffee, let the dog out in the yard every morning. That's a behavior. But for some reason, um, in a memory care situation, behavior kind of becomes a dirty word. And I think that up until now, um, the focus has been on what to do when these, and I'm I'm making air quotes here. I know you can't see that on the radio, but anytime I say behavior, put some air quotes around it. You know, 
what do we do when when they have these behaviors? Well, we distract and we redirect and yada yada. How about okay? We know what they're doing. How about if we take the time to look at why is this happening? And mm-hmm. you will find that it gets down to when I say unmet human needs. I go. I'm saying go a lot further than just food, temperature, hydration, available toilet. Those basic, basic needs are, you know, I mean, they're kind of dependent needs. We depend on that to survive. But if you remember back to sociology 101 or, you know, philosophy, psychology 101, we all learned about Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. And the reason that it's a pyramid shape rather than a linear or just a list is because the needs all build on one another. And these are human needs that we're born with. Dementia does not take them away. They're they're part of our humanity, part of us being a human being. And when those needs are not met for any of us, with or without dementia, we're going to have a reaction to it. And, you know, you look at that first level we talked about, most basic needs. Get level safety and security. And, you know, we kind of need to put two check boxes there, one for physical safety and security, and we can give ourselves a gold star with that. Absolutely. You know, we, our facilities are safe. They're clean sprinkler systems, the whole whole nine yards. What about emotional safety and security? You know, mm-hmm. are we helping people to understand that it's okay if you're a little forgetful? It's okay. Um, you know, many times when someone living with dementia says, I want to go home, wrong answer is, oh, this is your home now. You know, your children want you to live here so you'll be safe. Yeah, <laughs> let's not let's not say that, okay? They're not necessarily talking about a physical brick-and-mortar address. When they're saying, I want to go home, it's that feeling of, you know, and, and we could go through every cliche imaginable. Home is where the heart is, you know, the, the love, where the love light burns. Home, it's that sense of everything was okay. You know, I had purpose. I had, uh, I was head of the household, and and I want to go home. I want to go back to that place. So we need to make sure that we are taking care of emotional security and safety as well. Third level, socialization. You know, are they part of of a group, or maybe have they been an introvert all their life? How can we best respect that? You know, I mean, fourth level, fifth level self-actualization. If those needs are not met, purposefulness, you know, is on that fourth level there, you need to have a reason to want to get out of bed in the morning. And so when you look at what some other countries are doing, and this is not a slam on the United States, okay? (laughs) We buy furniture from Ikea. We import wines from France. We can take some pointers from other other nations. 
But if you look at Dementia Australia, uh, Netherlands, France, it's a very much of a habilitative, you, what can you still do that gives you purpose? And that's what's fostered rather than this, you know, this helicopter, you can't do this. Nope, sit down, Jack. Nope, go, let's get away from the door, Molly. You know, and then we wonder why they say no a lot. It's the only mm-hmm. way we hear. And so these needs, these human needs, if they are not met, People will react to it, and then we call it a behavior. And rather than validate what's going on, you know, we redirect, change the subject. Oh, let's go over here. Let's not do that. Let's go Let's go get some candy. Let's go play bingo. You know, valid, redirection without validation is you're putting a Band-Aid on an infected wound. It's going to continue to fester. Mm-hmm. Popping popping somebody an Ativan or a Xanax because they're they're having you know uh, a behavioral outburst. Again, you're putting a Band-Aid on an infected wound. You've got to get in there and you've got to treat that wound bed and heal it and find out what's wrong. This is where the behaviors are coming from. And mm-hmm. you know, think about it. A lot of times, Lori, and and it's good. People will say, put yourself in their place, and and it helps build empathy. And that's very true. But that's only going to get us, I don't know, 75, 80% there, because at the end of the day, we, the caregivers, the care partners, we don't have dementia. So what I tell people, what I suggest, is take the dementia out of it. Put yourself in that situation without dementia. Those first weekends of the pandemic shutdown in 2020, we couldn't really go. Well, we went to work because of the field we're in, but socially, you couldn't go anywhere. Everything was closed. You couldn't see your friends. Did we not find ourselves kind of getting a little antsy, walking around the house, looking for something to do, bored, frustrated, you know, were we the most pleasant person in the family by the end of the day? Possibly not. You know, you go to the store, you have a home improvement project, you can't find the, the paint. All of these things, we have that need to feel purposeful. Okay, mm-hmm. And dementia does not change that. So when we're looking at behaviors, before we get to, okay, what are we going to do? They're having an outburst. Why are they having an outburst? What's, what's missing? What, what are we not providing from that hierarchy, from those levels of that hierarchy? What's missing? Because when we can provide that emotional safety and security and socialization, even if they are an introvert, socialization in the sense of I see people and they see me. They still see me as a person. That counts as socialization. Purposefulness. You know, how advanced is their dementia? Can they still be in charge of putting an orange next to everybody's plate at the breakfast table in the morning? You know, a sense of purpose. So, you know, we need to get to the root cause of it before we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, well, you know, bring bring out the activity kit. <laughs> you know, that'll, 
bring out the bingo chips. Let them sort them by colors. No, no. It's People need a purpose in life. They need to be reassured that we have not given up on their humanity. Well, and there's a big difference between being kept busy and feeling purposeful. And mm-hmm. one of my, my favorite um, sayings is by uh, Harry Urban, Living with Dementia. <clears throat> and he says, you know, I, I used to love relaxating um, before I got dementia. I still do. Sit with me and listen to the birds and feel the sunshine and the breeze on your face. Enjoy that with me. You, you don't have to keep me busy all the time, you know, and and I think, uh, you know, for myself, I think I kept my, my mom busy or than what needed to be because it made me feel good, like I was doing something with the disease that didn't have a cure because nobody taught me anything different, you know, back in the day. Um, using mm-hmm. that word behavior, I think we have to look at it as a clue that something is wrong. Something has triggered them. So getting to that why, like you said, you know, what's triggered them? Why, why are they acting like this? They're trying to, they're trying to communicate to us um, in a new way because they might not have the words uh, to be able to tell us, uh, you know, what is going wrong. And I loved when you tapped into Maslow's theory too, because um, and and using um, the example of home, because it really is about feeling comfortable, feeling like you belong, feeling safe. And a lot of times mm-hmm. we're not looking at it like that. We're just looking at a question to answer. And it's, it's so much deeper, so, so much yes, deeper than that. Um, and it we is. have to. Mm-hmm. Go no, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and we have to really tap into our skills of reading nonverbals and and you know, up the ante because a lot of times their nonverbals will tell us what's triggering them, but we're not paying mm-hmm. attention because we want, we want the words, <laughs> you know, and yet you know, when I'm talking to you or anyone else, I'm reading the whole package. But when it comes to somebody with dementia, it's like that gets turned off and we're just so focused on the words. Yes, exactly, and and we're fo- and that's an example, I think, Lori, of where we're focusing on the disability rather than the ability. Um, mm-hmm. You know, habilitative dementia care enables disabled, mm-hmm. and it, all we're focusing on is the words that they're missing, or you know, the the social uh, filters that are no longer there. Um, you know, don't focus on the whole of the donut. Focus on the cake around it. You know, there's <laughs> there's there's no point in focusing on what isn't there anymore. There's a whole lot of stuff that's absolutely still going on. And you know, I think one of the the largest mistakes that I've seen um, in my career as a, a memory support nurse is people just continuing to try to bring them back to our time, to our reality. And it goes back and forth. And I understand the argument of people saying, well, you you shouldn't lie to them. Well, joining them on their timeline and their reality, it's not lying to them. It's meeting them where they are. It's, Mm -hmm. It's joining them in that place where they happen to be. And 
you know, there again, that emotional comfort. If they're, they've planted themselves in 1968 or 1975, whatever, it, you know, people tend to look at it and say, oh, they're so confused they think it's 1975. It's more than that. It's what was going on in their life in 1975. There again, were they the provider for the family? You know, mm-hmm. was she mom that the boo-boo kind of thing? Um, they're seeking that that feeling of purposefulness again. Who, When I knew everything, when everything was familiar and it wasn't mm-hmm. scary and I was in control, and mm-hmm. to keep trying to yank them back from that, it's it's cruel. They're hanging out in the best years of their life. You mm-hmm. know, it's not a bad place to spend some time back in the best years of your life. I'd, I'd like to do it. So, you know, so, it's... Exactly, exactly. Well, I can't believe we only have 15 minutes left, and I have several questions left. So um, I'm going to merge a couple of these and ask you to talk about learned helplessness, and then um, the habilitative approach versus kind of, um, well, I'll just, I'll have you talk about those two things and and we'll go from there. Okay. All right. So learned helplessness, um, that ties, you know, it it all kind of ties together. Learned helplessness is actually um, a term that I learned from uh, Dr. Cameron Camp. He is the sort of uh, father of Montessori dementia care. Um, and in Montessori dementia care, again, you focus on the habilitative, the skills that remain, uh, the capabilities, not the disabilities. And what we do, we make the mistake in, with the kindest of hearts and the best of intentions, you know, oh, let me do that for you. Um, oh, he can't shave himself anymore. He's got dementia. What if he cuts himself? Well, okay, first of all, there's a reason it's called a safety razor, you know. <laughs> Let's not give him a barber strop. But, you know, if if a person can still do something, we should not assume that they cannot just because they have dementia. Mm-hmm. You know, she loves to cook or he loves to cook. I don't mean to gender stereotype. I'm just, you know, my parents' generation was a, about a 70-year gender stereotype. So um, excuse me if I if I revert to that a little bit. So he or she loved to cook. Oh, don't, don't, don't let her peel the potatoes. What if she nicks her finger? Well, what if that happened 40 years ago? You'd go mm-hmm. put a little back pain and a Band-Aid on it and, and keep going. And so in our zeal to serve and protect, you know, our loved ones, we take these things away and learned helplessness is basically use it or lose it. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there's, you know, something that we did every day or every week years ago and then, you know, we kind of stopped doing it and we try to go back to it. You know, in our own minds, you have to kind of run through, oh, gee, I don't remember how to do this now. I used to knit. I used to crochet. I don't remember how to do it. Learned helplessness is use it or lose it. And this is where, you know, we create a lot of that functional disability before the disease process ever works its way around to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um 
let them try. And yes, it might take a little bit longer. It's it's their timetable, not ours. Their logic makes perfect sense to them. It may take us a time or two to work through some of the you know loops and curls of it. We tend to think on a very linear plane, but it's about them. And you know, and again, not a criticism, but when families or caregivers say, well, why do I have to be the one to make these changes? Well, not for anything, but we're the ones with the function, fully functioning brains, okay? Our executive brains are still online. It's up to us to find, you know, to read the map. It's up to us to be able to read that map, plug in those GPS coordinates, and find where your loved one is at, and go from there. So mm-hmm. learned helplessness is something that, that we do um, because we think that surely they can't do this anymore. And mm-hmm. they can still learn new things. You just need to present it more in the form of demonstrating rather than just explaining things to people. You know, it's it's more of a visual learning. And they can learn new things. Mm-hmm. So. I, I I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, that was um, that was really helpful, and I love Dr. Cameron Camp too with the Montessori um, approach. He he just does such a great job. In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he has a um, a video on YouTube that says, "What if dementia wasn't looked at like a disease, but as a syndrome?" And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we would treat it very differently, just like we have um, developmental disabilities and stuff. We'd be putting supports into place instead of trying yes. to find um, treatments and box people in. And, um, and and not that we don't want a treatment per se, but just the whole approach about trying to get people to live as independently as possible isn't what comes first and foremost when people hear about dementia, that's not what they think about, <laughs> that's, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is where, as, as we discussed before, we need a societal shift. We need a complete societal paradigm shift in the way people see dementia. Oh, they can't cook? What if they leave the stove on? Well, you know what? Years ago, I had a $12 coffee pot from Kmart that turned itself off after two hours or if the burner got too hot. Now, obviously, that's not cost-prohibitive technology. If I only paid 12 bucks for this coffee pot, we can't make a stove that does that? Yep. You know, I mean, it's we we need to do more than than just hand out cards in public. That, and I have mixed feelings about those, Lori. You know, you hand out mm-hmm. a card. Um, the person I'm with has dementia. Please excuse any behaviors. Okay, mm-hmm. now let's say I don't know anything about dementia and you hand me that card. I'm going to start thinking, whoa, should I back away slowly, get the kids in the house? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. You know where, I mean, if you're insistent on <laughs> handing out cards, how mm-hmm. about something like the person I'm with is experiencing some challenges Thank you so much for helping us make this a pleasant outing. Or you know, keep it positive. We're mm-hmm. we're scaring people, you yeah. know. And it, yeah, it raises money, but you know, it's 
research isn't just about, you know, men in white coats with unhappy little mice in a cage and, and bubbling beakers. Research is about how do we make an inclusive society here? What can we do as a society? Mm-hmm. And that is habilitative dementia care to to answer your your last question there, habilitative, mm-hmm. you want to enable rather than disable, enable yeah. them, help them to be able to live on their own. Do they just need a post-it note, you know, mm-hmm. somebody to maybe set up auto pay for them for their bills and they can still stay at home for a little, you know, again, just keep an eye on things. You know? Don't have to bubble wrap them right on the way home from that first doctor appointment. Yep. Yep, exactly. Kind of kind of how some parents feel when they bring their baby home, you know, or when they start walking. It's like every every corner of every furniture, you know, is now protected and, you know, people are going to fall, they're going to have mishaps. Um life is not perfect, but that's also how we how we all learn together as well. And and granted safety we want to be in the forefront, but we can overkill that too and and some people living with dementia who are in early to mid stages will say, you know, the protection's not worth the risk of losing quality of life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if and, I make it. I mean, oh, go ahead. There is no argument that at some point, you know, we, we don't want to do anything reckless. You know, we do have a responsibility to provide a safe environment, but, you know, like you say, things are going to happen. Things happen, you know, in real life all the time. Now, you know, would I turn my toddler out by a swimming pool and go inside and take a nap? Absolutely not. You know, did they have their skinned knees and and little bumps and boo-boos? Well, yeah, they were growing up. And so, you know, in that respect, for persons caring for loved ones with dementia, I mean, use your judgment. Where where are they at on their journey? I think that's that's part of the key to it is to not put them, you know, in in this box. But where what do they need for where they are at on their dementia journey right now? And mm-hmm. save the rest of it for later. They probably will need it later. So yep. don't overcrush it. Yep. Exactly. Well, what would your recommendations be for living well with dementia? What are some things that people can put into place right now? Well, I I mean, basically, Lori, um, a lot of the things that that we discussed, um, you know, if you are in a, a family situation or, you know, a friend, they are still that same person. And Give them the dignity and the respect. You know, it's that golden rule. We learned it in in nursery school. Do unto others. Um, Living well with dementia means basically living your life to the fullest. Um, You know, maybe rather than person-centered care, we could call it person-centered collaboration, person-centered assistance, person-centered support. You know, that word care Yes, it can be used in a very beautiful context. I care about you, what a caring person. But in the healthcare field, it tends to have a little undertone of uh, being an invalid. You need care. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, just do your thing. Ask for if you are living with dementia, make make your your case. You know, just you are the person that you are. You are the person that you have always been. And when you yourself feel the need for, yeah, you know, maybe it wouldn't hurt if Harry called to remind me about our golf game on Saturday, ask for that help. You know, there, there's no shame in that. A lot of people without dementia need reminders or, or need help with certain things. But, mm-hmm. yeah, we need to get rid of that stigma that this is the boogeyman under the bed and it's the worst. I mean, diagnosis of any terminal disease is not pleasant. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, it's become the boogeyman under the bed. Yep. You know, like the worst diagnosis you could get. When, mm-hmm. in fact, if we can appreciate the fact that we do have a lot of time left with our loved ones, you know, make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Well, people can get a hold of you, um, Donna, by going to your website, newdawndementia.com. That's newdawndementia.com. Or you're also on Facebook at New Dawn Dementia. They can uh, find you that way as well. <clears throat> Did you want to give a phone number or email out at all to people, or do you prefer they just um, go through your website? No, they're welcome to email me. That's absolutely fine. My email is newdawndementia at gmail.com, all lowercase letters. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the conversation. You're one of those people I could talk to all day because I just feel very aligned with uh, with how you look at things. And so thank you for the work that you do. And um, for those of you interested in training, please reach out to Donna and uh, visit mm-hmm. her site. Thanks, Donna. Thank you. It was. At, I am grateful to have been here, Lori. Thank you so much for the platform. Wonderful. We are going to hear uh, quickly as we close from the All's Authors. They have a uh, wonderful podcast as well as having over 300 authors that they've pulled together. So please like, click, and share and uh, visit the All's Authors as well. Hello, podcast listener. If you're caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia, you'll want to check out All's Authors, the global community of authors writing about Alzheimer's and dementia from personal experience. We have the most comprehensive collection of hundreds of carefully vetted books and blogs covering all types of dementia and caring situations. Our authors' personal stories and painfully learned lessons can help you on your own journey. We also offer a fabulous podcast called Untangling Alzheimer's and Dementia, which you can find on any of your podcast platforms. Remember, you are not alone. One can sing a lonely song, but we chose to form a choir and create harmony. Find us at allsauthors.com. Bye, everyone. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk soon. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. 
We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Way Showers who will help your journey a lot easier.